Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. I've noticed that I'm trying to be right. So gift cards. Gift cards. <laughs> tell me about um, tell me about your journey into uh, into the space magic. Is it magic? Magic? Yeah, magic. Magic. Yes. So in Polish, uh, there's always the official name and the like uh, the official nickname. Huh? So magic is for friends and family. So uh, yeah, I love it. What's um. What's your journey like? Because I know you used to work at Bull Bitcoin and some other things like that, but let's start there. What, what was it like working with, with that group over there? Yeah, well, uh, perhaps yeah, I can start from uh, the start. Yeah. Uh, I've been in the, you know, in the Bitcoin space. Actually, the first time I invested was in 2015. I was pretty young at the time. I, only, uh, I was only like 18 years old, still in university. And uh, so I only did it to like get rich quick. Uh, and it took me approximately like two years before I started going to the local uh, meetup in Montreal uh, because I'm originally from Montreal. And for those who don't know, uh, the Bitcoin uh, meetup in Montreal is pretty legendary. It was one of the first uh, one uh, in the world. Uh, so it has a really uh, mature and uh, really developed community. And uh, I was uh, just a youngster learning, and I met uh, Francis Pouliot there. And I was there with my uh, partners, uh, Gustavo, uh, Flores, Chase, and Tristan. So as we uh, started attending meetups, me meeting uh, entrepreneurs, or um, we, we started developing uh, a desire to also create our, our own company in the space. So we created a mining company called Mining X uh, uh, at that time. It was like uh, still like the El Dorado of uh, mining in Quebec, but uh, they started. Uh, there was a law that well, there was not a law, but a moratorium that passed. Uh, the government was really scared of miners, so that kind of um, destroys destroyed our dreams and hopes about creating a mining empire. Because basically, even though we were ready to mine and we already had like uh, over a hundred uh, S9s. Uh, ready to mine the the government didn't want us didn't want to provide us with the electricity counter so we couldn't uh, use the electricity we were already plugged in uh, so you know that was one felt company but we learned a lot 
then we created an exchange called Verify, and that's how we started working with Bull Bitcoin constantly, and eventually got hired uh, by them uh, to work together. So it's a long story uh, spawning uh, over a few years, but uh, I tried to summarize it uh, as best as I could. Yeah. And did you did you learn a lot from um, working inside of Bull Bitcoin? Um, and I know we have a lot of mutual friends <laughs> from Canada, so uh, it's it's kind of cool to see how all the Canadians kind of rally together. Because um, I've heard stories from that that era, and it sounded amazing, magical. Um, do you guys still keep in touch? Uh, yes, we keep in touch. Uh, it didn't work out at the end, but. Uh... Uh, we're not on bad terms. Uh, it was just uh, different visions, but I mean, uh, we we did work together, and I learned a lot. Uh, basically, Bull Bitcoin is the biggest Bitcoin-only exchange in Canada. So, uh, following like the Bitcoin ethos and uh, trying to really push the Bitcoin star standards. So, the clients of Bull Bitcoin are really interested in, in the philosophy of Bitcoin, and uh, uh, a lot of them are really uh, I mean, just by the fact that it's non-custodial by default, uh, it attracts uh, different kind of users. Or if it's new users into Bitcoin, they quickly need to learn how to use Bitcoin the right way, which is uh, by holding your own keys. And obviously, for uh, bigger clients that uh, you know invest a, a sum of money that is considerable, they won't just uh, send it to like a blue wallet or something. They want to learn. Um, a little bit more deeply how to conserve it, how to do in inheritance planning. So Bull Bitcoin has this aspect of also advising the client uh, post-purchase how to use their Bitcoin and making sure they won't fall into the wrong hands, but also not making mistakes that could lead to a loss, right? So depending on the situation, if it's uh, just using a passphrase or a multisig or you know, the whole kit of advising a client depending on how comfortable comfortable they feel uh that's what we were doing uh yeah yeah and it's it's interesting too because i i i come to realize there's a lot of self-sovereign canadian bitcoiners that that hold it as like the this is the this is the bar <laughs> yeah. uh, so where do you think that comes from do you think that comes from just um canadian um I don't know. Yeah. Where, where, where does that come from? Like, is it just because of the education that's out there about that? Um, it's hard to say. I, I think it's a mix of history who was there at the right time. And like, uh, also like there was a, the first bit dev, uh, sorry. Uh, like one of the first bit dev conference happened in Montreal in 2015. So, you know, all the legends of, you know, Adam back and like the blockstream, some blockstream guys and, People uh, starting early the dis- when there was the block scaling war, like the first discussion happened in Montreal, and uh, Blockstream was also founded in Montreal. So I, I guess it's a mix of circumstances and, uh, but also the fact that some Canadian, not all, of course, like a strong minority of Canadians are also strong believers in liberty, and uh, can be like libertarians or have this philosophy of, you know, uh, independence, independence from the state and also being a rich and uh, uh, well-educated country, I think was a, a bit of a mix of all of that that led 
led Canada uh, to having a really strong Bitcoin community, right? Uh, the work of Francis Polio and many others. Also, he was a big proponent of Bitcoin since the beginning. He participated uh, actively into the scaling wars. Uh, so that put Canada on the map, I guess. And also the, the, the mining industry, right? So there's a lot of potential for mining. So I guess it's a mix of all those uh, factors together. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, the impact that Francis and y'all guys uh, from uh, Bull Bitcoin and yeah, I, I think that's just that that kind of has shown. I mean, here at Plub Lab of like how to do it. Like it's no secret. Like Francis was one of the first. You know, all of y'all were one of the first people that came through Plub Lab and like encouraged us and told us to things to avoid and you know, and introed us to a lot of people in the space. So like, um, yeah, there's no question the amount of impact that bull Bitcoin and the team at, uh, you guys have had had on everybody in the space. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, uh, the, the Bitcoin Montreal meetup is kind of really cool too, because, you know, it's a mix of entrepreneurs, beginners, and people that just have been coming to the meetup since forever. And, uh, during, uh, the COVID, uh, thing, uh, it was like basically illegal to organize anything um, inside. So the only way we could uh, organize something was outside and in the winter is uh, basically impossible. So after like a year where we didn't organize anything, we like launched a barbecue, uh, just a little local park in Montreal. And there was like 200 people that, that came without any like real advertising, right? Just posting the meetup on uh, meetup.com. So that's a really cool, uh, uh, like, uh, thing from Montreal. It's like, as soon as you, uh, want to launch something, there's going to be a lot of people uh, coming and like real Bitcoiners, right? And uh, it's funny you say that, uh, we have been as an inspiration. I don't take credit for that, um, in, uh, in Austin, but we also have been an inspiration, I think, for the French community in France. Uh, so there was, there's a lot of uh, French people that go to Montreal for, to live a few years or to study. And from the meetup, there's actually like three big, pretty considerable, uh, big exchanges that are Bitcoin only that spawn from the ideals of Bitcoin Montreal. Obviously it's not only because of us, but I think we, uh, we're good at, uh, like, uh, planting the first seed yeah. uh, for, for many uh, people. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's something uh, we're proud about. Obviously uh, it takes a lot of more work than this, but this is just uh, to say we have been an inspiration for, well, the Bitcoin Montreal meetup community as a whole has been an inspiration for many, I think. Yeah. It, it's, it's, there's something about that seed planning that, that goes on in these meetups or around the world. And um and the amount of influence, you know, a group of individuals can have like on a particular project or something. It's, uh, I, I feel like it's not well known, I guess. Uh, like how many different, like if you, you know how they always have that like PayPal mafia, like infograph and it shows like all the people that came, um, from that. And then like, they always do that with like Apple and they have like the Xerox thing, or, um, I forget the name of that company that, that was trying to make like a phone back in the late eighties, early nineties. And like, it was all the people that come from there. There's something to be said about that, about a, a community of, of, of people that gather together to support each other. It's a, it's a beautiful thing I've come to realize it's, it's very critical to 
the infrastructure. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. I, I'm a Canadian refugee uh, right now. So uh, I, uh, uh, I didn't escape Canada, but uh, you know, you know what has been happening over the past two, three years, things have been going south. And uh, there's a big movement of people that have been moving to Latin American countries, to Mexico uh, in particular, but also a lot of other countries, uh, a, a smaller niche have been like uh, going to El Salvador, but I choose uh, Mexico for many reasons. Um, one being uh, the culture uh, that I mostly identify closely with uh, way more than in the Canadian culture and the Quebecois culture, the French Canadian part of Canada. Uh, the cost of living is, is also a big factor. Uh, the weather, but just also the sense of adventure. So I've been living in Mexico and now I'm established in Querétaro, which is a, like a 2 million uh, inhabitant city, uh, three hours north of Mexico. It's the, one of the fastest growing city in Mexico. It's like really developed and safe. So a lot of uh, it attracts a lot of uh, investment from uh, international companies, uh, uh, especially in the sector of manufacturing and like, high-level manufacturing. So I see a lot of potential here, and uh, that's why I'm, I've been living uh, in Mexico. And I I'm kind of want to open the eyes and like uh, of other people that have been complaining about their lives in Canada or in the U.S. Like just move. Like it's. I mean, I know it's not easy and I had it more easy because I don't have a family uh, I'm not married so obviously it's just about me getting a ticket and going there right and if you have a remote job uh, which can be a little bit easier to find in in the Bitcoin world it's just buy a ticket and and go you know go see for yourself you you don't have to stay you can come back you can test it out uh, so I've been a proponent of that kind of philosophy like if you're if you don't like where you're, uh, how you're treated in your home country, just move, you know? Uh, I know it's not that easy, but it kind of is, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm Do in uh, Mexico right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've been hearing great things about Mexico. We got a few friends over there. Um, what, uh, what, what do you think about Canada? Do you think it can spring back? Do you think it could, do, or do you think Trudeau and, um, I mean, do you think he's just too powerful? Is that the right word? to make any significant change for Bitcoiners? I think, I, I mean, there's many aspects to that question, right? Like, do we believe as Bitcoiners that there's going to be like a big world change uh, that's going to spawn us to the golden era of Bitcoin? I mean, the Bitcoin era. And uh, that, take, that take, can take a lot of time, I, I think. And uh, some people are going to, Say like, oh, you you're, uh, you escape, you you don't fight for your country. But I'm from a, uh, I'm from a like immigrant background. I'm Polish, so you know I don't identify uh, like patriotically with Canada. And and the last two three years haven't given me any reason to do so. Um, so I don't know if it's gonna bounce back. You know, I don't think. Well, you know, there's a lot of hope for Pierre uh, Polivier, uh, Polivier something. But, you know, he also has been leaning in some uh, opinions that I don't agree with. So in general, I just don't trust politicians as a whole to improve my life. 
So I'm not going to count on uh, politicians to, to like reverse the thing. And also does the number speaks for themselves. Like uh, Canadians have been more in, in depth more than ever. People don't have like this work culture anymore. Like we just expect everything to be given to us for free. So the whole mentality, uh, not everybody, obviously, like that's the, all, there's always a minority of people that, you know, want to work uh, and uh, don't, don't want to get uh, a free lunch. But as a whole, I think Canada is not going in, in the right uh, direction. And I think it, it needs to like kind of crash before it rebounds. I don't know if it's possible to stop the crash. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, do, do you think, um, do you think like the whole, I guess it was it last year we had the, the truckers and stuff like that. Do you think there's still that, do you think that kind of movement that happened, do you think that kind of, I don't want to say squashed any hope, but it definitely felt like the totalitarian kind of, group of people like really came down hard on any kind of grassroots movement from starting again. I mean, definitely feels like they um, kind of quieted a lot of people and, and a lot of different kind of tactics. I mean, yeah, I think it also show, showed uh, that Bitcoiners aren't ready for uh, real life events such as these. Like, first of all, when, I mean, it's completely under, under uh, I, I can completely understand why it happened because, you know, Bitcoiners have been idealizing a world where, you know, liberty and free trade and just uh, individualism is, uh, is king, right? And uh, we're going to reach that point without the violence and without persecution, but Histories has shown that whenever there is a change, uh, monetary change uh, of like the the base monetary uh, of uh, of the society, it's always led to revolutions, to wars, to prison, political prisoners. And I guess Bitcoiners have this vision of that everything is going to transition peacefully without um, any problems and. I mean, it's not that bad. Nobody got killed at the protest. There was nothing, there was no violence as a, in the, in the traditional sense with guns and like people getting like massacred, but there was like financial violence where some people were, uh, their, their bank accounts were being removed. So I think it, it's, it showed an example that we're, we can, we're not, uh, they say like we're not uh, protected just because we have Bitcoin from violence from the state or from higher powers, right? And on the other side, like uh, so, that's a good thing. We have been shown this because it makes us realize that perhaps we need to be a little bit more prepared. And the other side is that technically, uh, how the whole donation thing was done was really uh, was really. Uh, bad right because first of all the first address was static so uh, there was no privacy uh, because basically the way it was set up there was only one single address everybody was sending to the single address except if they 
were sending their donations with the Lightning Network, which only a minority of people did. And then the public figures that were holding the keys were public, right? And it does, that's also kind of a, a issue as well, because you need to trust the holders of the keys that accept Bitcoin for certain uh, situations such as this one to, because you're not just going to send the Bitcoins without knowing if they're going to get uh, distributed, right? And that put a target on the person holding the keys. I know like a session, I think Greg Foss and uh, another, per- another person I forgot. And that's al- also another point of failure of that whole thing, right? Because then the police can just go to their door, knock yeah. on the door and be like, okay, give out your keys. And then the whole Bitcoin dream is uh, lost again, right? Because we're still vulnerable to like the, the, the higher powers, right? So I don't know if it crushed the, the dream or it actually showed that there's so much more that we need to do uh, if we want to reach that dream uh, one day, right? Uh, I don't know if that answers yeah. your question. It kind, of, it kind of feels like at that time, I'm feeling more and more these days that you know a lot of this stuff is going to lead to like centralization, whether we like it or not. And I don't know... I mean, I don't want to put out that bearish sentiment, but it's definitely feeling more and more like that's going to be a thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, Canada for me, except for visiting and uh, just friends and family, it's kind of like uh, I don't think about it uh, anymore too much. I I appreciate the the one that stayed on the ground fighting uh, for themselves for freedom. But uh, as things are going, like, I think Canada is also uh, also wants to implement um, taxation based on citizenship. So if you're a citizen of Canada, if you if in, even if you don't live in Canada, they want to, they want to tax you like the U.S. are doing. So I mean, like uh, we are really like one of the highest tax countries, and we the media the whole thing, the the only thing they do is like make you feel bad, right, mm-hmm. about how uh, you're a consumer, how, how just your, your life, you know? Uh, so, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't have uh, big hopes for Canada. I'm, I'm, I'm bullish for Mexico and Latin America. <laughs> do you think and- that's, do you think that's how it'll kind of play out uh, where we'll have just like these orange countries and then there will just be these like fiat countries. And do you think that's how it's going to play out? It, it kind of seems like it's already kind of looking that in that direction. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you've, you've traveled more. I don't know. Uh, I mean, even El Salvador, like, yes, it's our own country, but to what extent, except like the marketing, uh, I mean, yes, you can go to like, uh, Bukele is talking about it and everything, but how really true it is, is it orange country right now? It's still using the U S dollar. It's still highly inter intercollected with, of the Mondial organization. So, you know, uh, is it just a marketing ploy or uh, are, is it really going to switch to a Bitcoin only standard? I don't know, right? Um, and still, uh, you know, they get investment from China, they get investment from the US. So they're still heavily dependent of those bigger powers. So I don't know if we're going to reach that kind of balkanization where you said we're going to have fiat countries and, and, uh, and orange countries. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I don't want to speculate on that. Yeah. I think there's always going to be 
orange people. I mean, uh, and I, I think that's the most important, right? Yeah, there's orange people that make the make up the majority of the country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's switch gears to Mexico. So yeah. the, the uh, Nifty and Stack launched the uh, Bitcoin Plus Plus in Mexico City last December. How, did yeah. you go to that? How, how was that privacy event? Yeah, I went there. It was uh, really cool to finally, well, not finally, but to see like a really high quality event being organized in Mexico. And I think, I mean, a lot of Americans are, have been traveling to Mexico for years, but for those who don't, uh, who, who, uh, who never did, uh, you know, landing in Mexico City, which is like a city of 22 million people, absolutely huge monster of a city, uh, really developed. I mean, obviously, uh, the conference was organized in one of the best neighborhoods uh, that are being uh, gentrified, uh, as, the, as some people would say. Um, but it shows like the potential of, of the city, right? And, you know, everybody talks about New York, everybody talks about Los Angeles, uh, but not everybody talks about Mexico City, which is like the center of this big country. Um, so I like the fact that it, it happened here and it showed me that there's going to be, uh, I think not a rush, but a beginning of like bigger scale events, at least some sort of uh, organization uh, in Mexico as a whole. And I intend to be part of it with uh, my partners, uh, Gustavo and Tristan, because uh, there's a lot of communities uh, scattered a little bit uh, everywhere in Mexico. So in Guadalajara, which is like the second biggest city, Monterrey, uh, up in the north, uh, Queretaro, we're trying to build something. It's a bit smaller, but I think uh, uh, the, the Bitcoiners that are here are a little bit hidden. So we just need to show them there is a community. So for Mexico, it showed that uh, we have a big potential. And then the, the conference itself was really dev-focused. So uh, I always appreciate uh, listening uh, to them, even though I don't, obviously I don't understand everything, but it shows me that there's always some uh, uh, people, builders uh, working nonstop uh, uh, whenever it's a bull or bear market uh, on uh, the Bitcoin protocol on different uh, Bitcoin implementations, wallets to make Bitcoin more private. So, uh, so yeah, it was a bullish event, I would say. Yeah, it's, uh, I heard great things. We had a couple people from the lab that went over there and um, it, it's, it seems like, like you're right. It seems like there's like a, some, some, some Bitcoiners brewing. Are you, are you, have you started a meetup yet? I think, or is it is it in Mexico? Do they have a Mexico City meetup or club? Yeah. There's few. I mean, you know, there's like, obviously, if you look on Facebook or uh, Telegram, there's always tons of group for everything, right? But some of them just started in the past and stopped because they were not consistent or whatever. So it's hard to find those that are really active and meaningful. So I know there is, um, I mean, I've been to the Bitcoin ambassador, ambassador, Ambassady bar, sorry, in Mexico City, there is actually one bar that accepts uh, Bitcoin and there are regularly uh, meetups being organized there. It's also like a, uh, there's some altcoin talks too, but uh, primarily uh, Bitcoin. And uh, there is one in Guadalajara, uh, focused more on, light, on the Lightning Network. Um, th they're all over the place, also in places where there's a lot of expats, right? Like uh, uh, Puerto Vallarta on the coast. Uh, or Cancun, there's some communities 
but as I said, they're a little bit scattered, right? And um, we want to kind of like reunite them. That's why I, I try to attend as much as uh, meetups uh, as possible. And the one in Queretaro, in our city, we started in January and we intend to reproduce uh, the, the model uh, we did in Montreal. So like doing it regularly, like if you want to create a community, first of all, like consistency is a key. Uh, so one a month at least. And uh, the, the, the model is not just to gather people to drink beers, but also, for example, to have uh, uh, short presentations about uh, a technical uh, technical project uh, within Bitcoin or like explaining some details about the, the evolution of Lightning Network or whatever, you know, just something that uh, showed pe- sh- is showing people that Bitcoin is uh, going forward in terms of uh, like technically. And also, you know, you can talk uh, about uh, the history of money, like whatever is related to Bitcoin, you know, so have different kind of subjects and bring uh the experts, because there's always Bitcoiners around, like random developers that have been living in Keretaro, and then you they're like, "Hey, I live in Keretaro," and they're like, "Hey, you come over to the meetup, right?" So first, you create this community of uh, experts, of uh, entrepreneurs that have been working in the space, um, and then uh, once you have this like solid community that are not scammers, uh, you know that that know what they're talking about. That's when you you try to attract more the beginners, right? So when the beginners come. Uh, they see this is something serious. Like it's not just like Bitcoin for investment, and you can just uh, you just buy it and you hold it, right? No, you can work in the space. You can uh, you perhaps you may find a job uh, at the meetup because some people are uh, looking for this or this. So the goal is to have like a set of tools within the meetup uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do so, do you do you think uh, do you think Mexico is, is kind of Mexico City? And the surrounding areas, do you think it's primed for uh, a faster adoption than in some other places, in some other countries? Because of, uh, you know, I mean, the peso is like worth very little, right? In, in, in exchange to the dollar. Do you think, um, do you think there's Mexicans out there that are a little bit more open to using and transacting on Bitcoin and Lightning? Mm, to be honest, I don't think. Uh, the Bitcoin adoption will come uh, within Mexican nationals first. Uh, I believe it's more actually the expats and digital nomads that can bring like the beginning of an adoption of Bitcoin within Mexico, because we're the type like like me, right? I'm earning uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, for a living, so I need to spend it, yeah, right? So uh, and obviously, I have uh, I'm lucky of having a, a a job online that pays uh, relatively well, super well, relatively to the Mexican Mexican national that works, uh, you know, just a regular job. So, uh, you know, um, I have way more Bitcoin to spend and to in, and money to invest in than the average Mexican national. And also, I think the mentality of Mexicans in general, like like for lower middle class, middle class, uh, when they think about investing, they primarily focus on real estate and land. That's like uh, their traditional uh, way of thinking, you know. It's not like in the US or Europe and Australia, whatever, where kind of everybody will invest in stocks or, you know, 
invest in Bitcoin or you know other other digital stuff. Uh, here, still, people are having this mentality, or you know, you can touch the land, you can uh, make it work for you, right? So, uh, and obviously, they don't have that much money to invest, right? Like, well, there's also like uh, rich Mexicans, obviously, that invest in stocks and invest in Bitcoin, but I don't think they're that big of a percentage. I think the last like survey that came out is like three percent of Mexicans own Bitcoin, which is, uh, or maybe a little bit less, like 2% or something. So it's like one to 2 million people that own Bitcoin. You know, you can trust that data or not. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I don't think, I, one, one, else, one thing else I want to touch on is like, for example, in El Salvador, a lot of the country is still unbanked and, uh, and don't have like good access to to banks and having an account and everything. But here in Mexico, that's like, uh, that's not the case here. Uh, the everyone like, well, not everyone, but pretty much everyone has a bank account. It's not something that's not accessible. It's way more developed than other, uh, Latin American countries. So it's not the same reality for, uh, for Mexicans than for example, a poor El Salvadorian, uh, person that lives, uh, in the mount, like in the countryside, and they have to travel. I don't know, uh, two hours to get to an ATM, and once they get there, there's no money left in the ATM. That's not the case in Mexico, right? So because of all these factors, that they're like rich, but not rich enough. They're like kind of the middle. They don't have like the incentives right now to invest in Bitcoin and start using it. In my opinion, right? Uh, yeah. But then there's a lot of to to be said because then Ricardo Salina which is like the third richest man in Mexico. He wants to, he also owns a, a line of bank called Azteco and he wants to introduce uh, Bitcoin uh, services uh, within Azteco if, if he didn't already did. So, you know, there's uh, many ways it, it can be played out. Do you, do you think uh, remittances is the first product that will get a lot of Mexican nationalists on board with Bitcoin or do you think that's um Still that would be, uh, up in the that air. Would be possible. Uh, I don't have the exact data. Um, I know that there's like over close to 50 billions of remittances coming from the US to Mexico alone. So how much of that percentage could be captured by the companies uh, uh, wanting to do it with Bitcoin? I don't know. Uh, the problem is also, uh, I, I know Bitso is doing it already, uh, but kind of like in the background. Many companies are doing it in the background, like offering uh, the service of transmitting money uh, as a service to companies that are really doing it uh, using Bitcoin, but the user don't see it. So they, for example, will be using Bitcoin, but they don't even know. So that's, but I don't have the data, right? So yeah, it's totally possible. But uh, on the other hand, I know in El Salvador, something came out recently. And it was like only 3% of the remittances were using Bitcoin directly. Um, so, you know, if we base ourselves on the example of Salvador, perhaps not, but obviously the potential is huge. Uh, so it depends on how many people work on it, how many people promote, promote it. You know, we need yeah. the, the whole uh, 
the whole uh, entrepreneurial machine and marketing machine to work on it, right? Is there, how many exchanges are out of Mexico? Is it just uh, Bitso and is Swan, is Swan out of, I feel like, isn't it the Swan or Strike or some of these other companies, Bull Bitcoin, do they have, can you buy Bitcoin from them in Mexico? I don't know if I've. Um, I don't think from, uh, from Swan, you, you can't. I'm not sure, but is it just I mean, that one company? Is it just that one? No, no, there's many exchanges. Uh, I know. Well, all like the more international exchanges like Binance. Oh, okay. Are there, obviously, uh, but there's like some, the thing is the, the, it's really hard to do an exchange in Mexico. Like, uh, you need to get like a FinTech license. So it's like kind of unofficial that you're creating an exchange. And that fintech license takes uh, a lot of time, few months, and like a heavy investment uh, to get it. And it's not guaranteed you're going to get it. And then again, once you have it, um, because the the law hasn't been defined clearly in terms of uh, Bitcoin and you know uh, digital stuff in general, uh, people will only have like. A, uh, will have their, their their headquarters outside of Mexico, and they will only have like a uh, like a subsidiary in Mexico. So even uh, even Bitso is not based in Mexico; they're based elsewhere, and they only have like a like a subsidiary working there, right? Employing the services of their outside company. So I think the fact that it's a bit hard to create a company that's like native from here makes it also uh, makes it a break for the adoption in general. Yeah. It, it sounds like it's going to be, um, a journey to say the least, but it, it it's going to take, like you said, a little bit of a, a little bit of everybody pushing in that direction, but yeah, man, Mexico sounds really, really good though. I, I, we went there in like, uh, in the summer and man, I had a great time. Fabulous time. We went to Mexico city. It was, it was oh, amazing. Man. We went, uh, we went ATV riding like by the pyramids and stuff. Um, and it was so inexpensive, like the, uh, compared to like some of the stuff you can just do here in Austin, it was just like really inexpensive. And, uh, we yeah. met a few Bitcoiners and stuff and checked out that bar that you mentioned. And, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Like the Roma Norte, uh, neighborhood was very, was very hip and trendy and, um, there's yeah, a lot really of young European people there. Exactly. It kind of reminded me of just like an Austin neighborhood, like on the East side or something. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. I love Mexico city. Uh, I go like almost every month for, because there's always somebody coming. Actually, my mother came for the first time uh, to visit me uh, last Friday. So we have visited uh, Mexico city during the weekend and I've been to the pyramids the first time. And yeah. I was kind of bummed. You cannot climb on the pyramids, like <laughs> yes. that kind of stuff. But uh, it's kind of impressive to see like the, the, the ancient cultures mixed within the, the European one, and from that emerged the Mexican culture as a as a uh, general, right? So it's like a really cultural countries, and there's infinite things to do, like absolutely infinite things to visit. To so yeah, and as you said, it's cheap, uh, especially compared to American standards. It's really cheap, but you still get the same quality of amenities and services and food and whatever you need, right? So that's the the great part of it. Yeah, and I feel like uh, for me personally, like it, 
my, my father's from Mexico, like he was born and raised there. And uh, for me, it was like a lot of things that, uh, that I saw there. I was like, Oh, this is where this is like some of the things that you, you grow up knowing uh, and you think it's like unique to you. And then you go somewhere else. You're like, no, th- there's a reason why you have these, um, these attractions towards things. It, it was, it was, it was fascinating. Like from a personal perspective, learning more about myself and the culture and, um, yeah, it's kind of cool, man. The, there's some really hard workers over there in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Really hard workers. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, I think also that's why I'm bullish on Florida and Texas in general is that there's so many Latinos there too. And like, I was in Miami and like random people were speaking Spanish to me, you know? So I was like, okay, this is really cool. And, uh, perhaps we can create like a new sort of alliance between the Southern States and like Mexico and the, the whole Latin America. I think it's, uh, the same kind of, uh, culture like similar culture like same uh, values a little bit so there's uh i think uh there's something there yeah yeah definitely for sure um so let's switch gears let's talk about a uh, bit refill what uh yeah. so so you so you 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 left uh bull bitcoin uh tell me about that transition and then moving over to bit refill yeah so i left uh bull bitcoin and you know i was uh kind of unemployed and uh it's uh, it's not good to use your your Bitcoin if you're not earning some. So obviously, I needed to find a job, and uh, I was in um, I was uh, in during the summer of 2022. I uh, know, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so just a few months ago, I was uh, in Montreal, and we organized a meetup. And uh, Justin, uh, my friend from uh, Bitrefill, who has been uh, working as a dev uh, for years with them told me like, oh, uh, well, we're looking for a Mexican and a Canadian ambassador for Bitrefill. Well, that's like, oh, well, that's uh, exactly my lifestyle. So the, <laughs> so like, the match was like impossible to reproduce almost because I was already transitioning into living in Mexico. I was uh, working the Bitcoin space in Canada for a long time. So like the, the role was perfect for me and uh, it allowed me for travel, to, for everything. So I feel a bit, uh, in the beginning, I felt like a, an imposter in the Mexican world because obviously I'm not Mexican. But as I said before, I believe that the first like movement of adoption of Bitcoin in Mexico will be, will be done by uh, digital nomads and expats that uh, earn money online, earn you know, Bitcoin doing many stuffs online. And they need to spend the Bitcoin somehow. So that's how I, <coughs> sorry, that's how I got uh, hired for uh, Bitrefill. And from, uh, that was only a part-time role, but uh, then I, I love the company really uh, a lot. It's a really great company, functioning really well with a great work culture. And everybody is like pushing towards uh, uh, the same goal. So it's really nice. So I started, uh, you know, uh, being implicated more and more. So now I'm also implicated in social media and uh, just like marketing ideas in general. So I, I've been uh, loving it. And I, there's uh, some open roles. I, I mean, it's kind of a dream for a Bitcoiner to work for Bitrefill, I feel, because you, you, like, um, you work, you, you're getting uh, paid in Bitcoin if you want. 
And then you're also working actively on uh, making Bitcoin adoption a reality, right? So Sergey, the CEO, is always talking about circular economies. Uh, uh, you know, spending uh, your 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 Bitcoin, not just holding it. I think it's a crucial part of making uh, Bitcoin uh, a reality. So yeah, uh, I love it so far. That's good. That's good to hear. I, I think for me, BitRefill first came on the map um, from John, like Carvalho, right? Like I remember seeing his <laughs> seeing his tweets and then I'd be thinking, like, who is this guy? <laughs> and you go and you look, he's like, oh, he works at BitRefill. Oh, okay, what's that? And then you start, uh, I, at least for me, like I started using it in 2017 just for like a lot of sats that I was earning and Bitcoin and stuff. And um, when, uh, when uh, here recently, you guys have really uh, attached yourselves to like the whole lightning infrastructure and being able to spin up a, a channel and that and there's been many times here in the lab where we do that. Um, so for me, it's just like, it's kind of one of those companies that, that does gift cards, but it also does a lot of these other kind of services. Can you kind of speak about that, about like what other services y'all have besides just the gift card portion of it? Yes. Uh, well, there has been, uh, during the past few months, uh, there was a big service introduced in, in the U.S. called BillPay, where you could pay for basically all your bills, your credit cards, uh, your your utility bills, everything, basically, uh, with Bitcoin, Lightning, well, and the other cryptos we have. Um, but uh, unfortunately, because of the whole uh, I, I, I don't know how much of the details I can say. So I, I will say as decided as possible. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, uh, we're working on getting it back on. So because a lot of people are asking for it. So uh, we're, it's not, uh, it's not uh, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, as I said, I don't know how much I can say, but I know we're working hard on getting it back because was really useful for people and was only active a few months, but the usage uh, has been growing a lot. So, um, uh, but the service is uh, actually uh, uh, available in El Salvador. So you can use BillPay to, to pay for your bills in El Salvador. And obviously the goal uh, for Bitrefill in the long term, I think is to get every uh, country on the map possible on the bill pay services, so just not gift cards, but all all things you can pay with Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, that's the, the the biggest service I would say, apart from uh, gift cards. Um, so yeah, yeah. And did, did you did you all do that at at um, at Bull Bitcoin too? Didn't you all do that as well too, where you could pay in bills, or did I? Imagine yeah, that? that's a feature that uh, not a lot of people know. Uh, you can pay uh, for a lot of services uh, with uh, Bull Bitcoin in Canada, your bills directly. Um, it's, uh, I don't know if, uh, I don't know how much of the volume is part of paying bills, right? Do you think uh, that'll but, just become an, an, a feature that everybody will have to add one day? How, how hard is it to kind of create that or to build that into um, a system? I mean, I think it's not that hard uh, because I think, I mean, it depends on the country because uh, everything uh, depends on the, the laws and everything depends on, but the actual technical integration of integrating payments is, is not 
that hard, right? It's just like a storefront. Uh, uh, sorry, it's just like a front end where you uh, show what you can pay with Bitcoin. And then in the back end, you do the payments yourself, not the user. Uh, you do it with fiat and then you convert. It's, it's basically like a regular sell. Uh, it's like a regular sell of Bitcoin, but instead of sending money to the bank account of the user, you just pay uh, the the provider that he selected, right? So technically, it's not that hard. I think it's more of a question of uh, uh, legality. And then again, I'm not an expert of this, so I cannot assert. But I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think perhaps it's the focus, right, of most of I would say crypto companies because they they want people to. Uh, keep their money on their platforms and to trade and to like do crazy stuff and not actually live uh, yeah. and use their Bitcoin pers- purposefully uh, for paying stuff in real life, right? So perhaps that's the reason why they won't implement it and that maybe it will just represent a small percentage of their whole revenue so they don't bother doing it uh, and they don't want to encourage that lifestyle, right? Of, of uh, actually spending your 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 bitcoin on real stuff right so do you think um do you think it's a good idea to spend your bitcoin i mean because you hear that that debate all the time right you either hodl it you spend it or you earn it or um you just dollar cost average in it like what's kind of what's kind of the what's kind of your philosophy as far as like how you see that um that um just i guess i guess i guess it's just like what we talk about in the space, right? Like, how do you, how do you, what's your philosophy on that? Well, um, I think, uh, sorry. My, my philosophy is basically, are you a real Bitcoin or if you don't spend your Bitcoin, right? It's because <laughs> you, you haven't been really on the bit. I mean, for somebody that earns Bitcoin, obviously you need to spend them, right? Or at least convert them. Uh, into cash because not everybody, not all, ser- not all services, and not all, um, uh, not all uh, products that you want to buy, uh, you can buy with bitcoins directly. So, if you're a real bitcoiner, uh, you earn in bitcoin and you spend them, obviously, because you need to live for for everything, right? But also, like, how do we expect of creating a bitcoin economy if the bitcoin don't circulate and like? Um, the concept of uh, like a circular economy uh, getting integrated into our lives, right? Uh, I much rather prefer, I would have preferred to pay for my groceries at a local store with Bitcoin and that person, if there's enough services around them, I can pay with that Bitcoin for something else than having to convert it back to, to, to cash, right? Because the, the way we like going to escape the fiat system is by having an economy within ourselves, right? At least, uh, I mean, not every Bitcoiner is a developer or is offering uh, services online. Some of them are just regular people, farmers offering, you know, having a regular job. But so like, how do we expect creating this new economy without spending it, you know? So like this mentality of a uh, hodl forever, like, yes, of course, hodl uh, uh, a bit, well, not a bit, as, as much as I can. But if you have the chance of making uh, those Bitcoin circulate within the Bitcoin economy, do it, right? Um, 
and you can always buy back the sets you you spent right away. Uh, just but you you still have contributed of making that a reality, not just like hoarding it uh, under your mattress uh, kind of philosophy. And um, that's something that Sergey, the, the CEO of uh, Bitrefill, has been pushing a lot. Like um, Bitcoiners tend to think that the Bitcoin users are only the people that uh, having have their pleb um, like kind of mentality online on Twitter. But uh, for example, usage of uh, on Bitrefill show, shows otherwise, right? A lot of people are using Bitcoin uh, not because uh, they're ideological about it. They don't really know what is Bitcoin. They don't really care what it is. It just serves them a purpose, um, a practical purpose. So, for example, uh, a lot of people in, in the gaming industry, a lot of people traveling, such as me, like expats, have been using Bitcoin for a long time. And it's useful for them. It's, and they, they spend it, right? They're users of Bitcoin without being Bitcoiners. And uh, we need to realize as a community, there's a really big, and much of the, the, the adoption will happen this way uh, through Bitcoin being a tool that's useful and not Bitcoin uh, being a, an ideology. And obviously you need the ideology as we, we do right now, the podcast, everything, to, to have uh, attract people to build applications to build tools to build companies that are useful that the other people the users will use in their everyday life to you know uh, and make a and just use bitcoin because it's useful and uh, another analogy sergey makes is like you probably use a car right and uh millions and well billions of people use a car but how much of the the, the users of car are going to car conferences, right? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, what? It, no, both are important. So we just need to realize that. Um, and it's okay. Like plebs and people on Twitter don't need to spend their Bitcoin necessarily. Uh, uh, and and they, keep, they can keep to just uh, follow the ideology. But, but we need to realize as well that in order for real adoption to happen, we need we need other users to use it like in their everyday lives or for a certain purpose. Yeah. I think, I think you're exactly right. I think you hit it right on the nail. Like there's, there's a lot of plubs out there that are, you know, making and earning sats from like stacker news, from like fountain, from their own blogs, from even geyser to like, I mean, I can name a dozens more that are building like some kind of tipping service. You even have Albi that's being spread on through Twitter. Nosters doing its own sort of onboarding for big for Bitcoiners and Lightning clubs out there and developers. Developers are even creating faster, more earning products right now as we're kind of seeing it through the ecosystem. I think it's. I think we're getting to a point now where there's a lot of uh, Sats that are sitting just in like a wallet of a sort. I think Fetty, when that comes out and the cashew stuff, uh, when that starts circulating too as well, you'll start seeing even more Sats just kind of sitting there. And then at a certain point it gets to like, okay, do I spend these? Do I send these to my cold storage? Like what do I do there? But I think there's, there's going to be a group of clubs out there that are going to be spending those Sats that they're earning, you know, to like, you know, take out, take out a significant other or, or, you know, to pay a bill or to open a lightning channel. Like it's, uh, I think, 
I think we've we've we're reaching that saturation point where sats are sitting on a wallet somewhere and you could easily convert that to a gift card like on bid refill right um so it's it's i think it's inevitable that uh, we get to a point where we just start you know could earning in sats and then paying in sats and then uh the dollar just kind of gets um i guess less less used by bitcoiners i would i would imagine maybe maybe not but i'm kind of seeing that trend already here in austin um uh, I I don't know what has been happening on Austin, but basically, as you said, yes, there's uh, many Bitcoiners trying to earn stats uh, on the site. But like, I want to emphasize, like, you shouldn't be forcing yourself to use Bitcoin just to use it uh, to make it useful, right? Because uh, that's kind of like uh, you know the the real users of Bitcoin use bit uh, use uh, sorry Bitcoin because they don't have another choice. So I have like just this anecdote for I've been uh, learning Spanish, obviously uh, living in Mexico. I'm not like a gringo that refuses uh, to learn uh, <laughs> Spanish, you know, and living in another country. So, you know, in, it, it's based on just like conversation between the teacher and I. And obviously I, well, I'm talking about my job, what I've been doing. And it's funny because the daughter of the teacher Told, uh, sorry, uh, the, uh, the teacher had a daughter that was learning Russian and uh, through, a, through, a prof, uh, through a teacher in Russia. And because of the sanctions imposed by uh, all the, the America, the Europe, it's basically impossible to send money to Russia right now to, a, to, to another particular person. So that person said, uh, the teacher of the daughter that was teaching uh, Russian to the daughter of my teacher in Spanish, uh, uh, told her, uh, well, pay me in Bitcoin. It's the only way I can get paid, right? Uh, because we can basically skip all the sh- sanctions and you just buy Bitcoin, send it to me, and I'm going to figure out how to spend it in Russia. So, so the teacher asked me how to buy Bitcoin uh, in Mexico so her daughter could pay her Russian teacher, right? So that, that those are the cases where Bitcoin is so needed, right? And it's just like a natural adoption because it's the only way people uh, can get paid for something, right? And I think that's where you're going to see real adoption. And those kind of cases is just an anecdote, right? But how many millions of cases like that are happening all over the world uh, just at the moment right now? You know, people needing to get paid for something, but it's just so impractical to get paid in fiat. So they start using Bitcoin as a tool, not as an ideology. They might not even care that there's, they might not even know there's only 21 millions. They might not, you know, they don't care. It just, it works. And that's, that's all they need to know, you know? Dang, that's a beautiful dream, man. That's, that's kind of cool. I, um, yeah. How can you not get on board with that? <laughs> that's, um, yeah, it'll probably happen like that, right? Just get more and more of those. Because, I mean, in Austin, a lot of people just have a fiat job getting paid uh, $150,000 a year, you know, getting paid well. So the need for Bitcoin is is not that strong, right? Because, like, I mean, the like the visceral need of getting paid. And if you're not getting paid, you you starve, right? Or not maybe not that far. I don't know, man. We have a lot of, we have a lot of Bitcoiners here in this town. Uh, I'm sure that are getting paid in Bitcoin of some sort. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the people that I hang out with, we all, we all send sats to each other. 
yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it, but uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think there's uh, there's definitely more growth, you know, in some of these other places, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of one of the things I kind of see. It's just like earning Bitcoin, you know, spend it. And then you still have, you know, your savings, just how you would do like the dollar, right? You would earn mm-hmm. your paycheck or whatever. And then you would save a portion of that into your savings account. I think I look at it the same way. It's just like that same mindset, but I'm exactly. probably not the majority. Um, um, maybe uh, like uh, come, whenever you come to Mexico, uh, feel free to reach out on my Twitter. Uh, I'm always around somewhere. So we can have a chat and obviously uh, me and my friends, uh, you know, Gustavo as well. Uh, we will be really trying to build a community here in Mexico. Uh, something uh, interesting and like of high quality. So uh, for anybody that is perhaps thinking to go into Mexico, even live here, don't hesitate to contact us. Uh, it would be a pleasure to talk and um, keep earning and uh, spending and stacking sets. <laughs> nice. Trace of your fingers through my palm without you. I got these scars with you. I heard your brother had a heat stroke, and I heard your sister, she's coming home again without you. Now all I got is new